Welcome to Busy House Happy Home, where you can ask Charlie your home dilemmas and I will help you along with my expert friends so your busy house becomes a happy home. I would like to introduce you to Dan Hayes, who's known as the London Chef. Now, Dan and I were at school together. God, how many years was it, Dan, ago that we were there? Well, I I think um, we're 2023, 22, 23 years ago. It must be. It must be. Really, really eight. That's that's sort of incriminating evidence, isn't it? That really it ages us. It really is. But you know what? You haven't changed at all. You look really youthful and <laughs> and happy. So Dan lives in um, in Canada on Vancouver Island. And Dan, how long have you been there? I've been here exactly fifteen years. This month will be will be exactly fifteen years. And, um, and I you know I I absolutely love it. It's my it's it's my home. It's my base. It's where I raise my kids. It's where I have my family and yeah, Vancouver Island. So for people that don't know, and um, people get confused with Vancouver and Vancouver Island. Vancouver, most people will know, obviously a big, you know, international city. And then um, Vancouver Island is just off the coast of Vancouver. It's actually a very big island. I mean, it takes seven hours to drive to the north. So it's not that dissimilar in many ways to England, really. Um, and we live in the biggest city on the island called Victoria, which is at the southern tip of, um, of Vancouver Island. Now, I went to Victoria many, many years ago, like probably 27 years ago. Brilliant. And I remember the Christmas shop. It's open all year round. I was completely fascinated by the Christmas shop and I went to the museum. So I had a friend um, from school before I came to school with you. Yeah. whose grandmother lived in Vancouver and we had yeah. a day trip to um to Victoria so yeah. I have been there but a very long time ago but it is a really amazing place well that's so uh, funny and, and bizarrely two of the guys I was um in, in Bruce with me at Stowe it turns out they're from an even smaller island just off Vancouver Island called Salt Spring Island isn't that bizarre amazing. that is so bizarre it's such yeah. a small world yeah and Dan, what took you to Vancouver Island? Well, um, as, as you know, I'm a, I'm a chef and I was working in London. And as a young guy with a mortgage, a mortgage in London, I, on my one day off, which was Wednesday nights, I would teach cooking classes at Whole Foods. It was the first Whole Foods, that side of the pond on High Street Ken. I'm sure Ken, most people remember it. it. Yeah. In the old, in the old Hoover building. Yeah. And, um, I was I, I was teaching a class and my now wife, Michaela, she was um, both a nanny and doing her master's in criminology. And um, she'd just been through a bit of a messy, messy breakup and um, was upset and came to a cooking class and proceeded to um, get tucked into the lemoncello in a big way. And um, at the end of the class, when I said, are there, you know, are there any more questions referring to perhaps the beef or the potatoes or the rice or something? She said, yes, would you come out for a drink with me? And that was that. And, and six months later, I was so ready to get out of London. I really was. And six months later, you know, this is where she's from. And we've moved back here together. And um, 
really i mean started a life together and i really mean started a life together you know i worked on a construction site in a day and worked you know in a restaurant at nighttime and she worked on a reception and you know really you know started a new life together amazing amazing and when did the london chef start well the london chef started not long after I arrived, we, you know, we started off as many people do just doing what we could to make rent. And um, fairly early on, um, you know, I'm, I, I was a trained chef. I mean, I'd been a head chef for years up, up until this point. It made sense to sort of somehow use those skills to make a bit of extra um, cash on the side. So I started doing little dinner parties for people. In fact, my first dinner party was um, for the foreman on the construction site that I worked at for his anniversary. And, you know, I mean, I literally turned up with a bunch of food, cook, and he gave me 50 bucks or something, which seemed like a huge amount of money at the time. Um, and and it just grew and grew and grew. And um, it was, you know, the, the, the ultimate started in your garage type thing and yeah. um, grew and grew. And then we started doing cooking classes in senior homes and community centers. And eventually we got to the point where every single night we were doing something. Wow. And we thought, oh, well, you know, this this might this might be a business here. And, and then we took the the huge and terrifying step of um moving into a 2,500 square foot downtown, you know, retail space and turning it into what was then known as the London Chef. And we had that for 11 years. Amazing, amazing, incredible. And then on the side, you've also been filming. Tell me a bit about that. So we're, so yes, so so I'm involved in two shows. One is a smaller show called Food for Thoughts, but the main show, is called Moose Meat and Marmalade. And that started, well, that started a really long time ago. Um, Our first, I think our first sort of major catering contract was doing the food, what's known as the craft services for a a TV show called Tiger Talk. And I um, met um, a gentleman and he was coming along getting lasagna and garlic bread and salad as one does and over his shoulder as a sort of prop was something called a Winchester 3030 and in the UK whether you shoot or stalk or hunt or not you're probably not familiar with a Winchester 3030 it's the old lever action rifle that we see cowboys having in old movies and um, we don't have them in the UK I mean it's very different to you know a sort of like you know but thank you Julia Hi. That's you, you it's very different. <laughs> That's my, my kids running about the place. It's very different to, you know, what we would use in the UK. And I was fascinated by this thing. And we were chatting about, he was saying, yeah, this old rifle, let's put a moose on the table every, you know, every year of my grandpa and then my father and now my life. And I was fascinated. And we chatted briefly about growing up hunting and fishing and stuff. And standing behind him was the executive sh- the executive producer of the show, mm-hmm. Hilary Pryor. And she just saw this like white English guy, you know, like little guy chatting to this great big Cree gentleman. And um, I, you know, just put, put, put the both of us together. So now nine, 10, 11, we started developing the show, I think 12 years ago. And now wow. we're on season seven. And um, I love watching the two of you. It's you're just the the chemistry, the camaraderie is just 
brilliant. Well, I'm, I'm really, you, yeah, yeah. You love to to hunt for your food. You love to fish. And actually, that's one thing that really stood out about you at school to me is you were you were you were cool. I remember the red jeans. Well, I don't know, but I don't know Reebok, if I was, I don't know if Reebok, I was that cool. But... The Reebok classics. You were oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you were cool and you had this amazing kind of action when you walked and you were, you were cool. And then you'd go fishing. And I love the kind of juxtaposition of, of, of your character that you would just, you know, go down to the lake and see what you could fish, you know, catch with yeah. a fishing rod. Just, yeah, amazing. No, it was, a big, it was so, a big thing for, yeah, it was a big thing for me. And I think, you know, in, inside I'm quite, I'm, 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 I, I'm uh my my work requires me to really be an extrovert you know and I'm like constantly either on stage or you know in front of a camera or doing something talking publicly but actually inside I'm far happier sitting next to a lake all on my own or up at the top of the mountain all on my own you know so so it's uh, even at that early age it was like that was probably quite clear although I didn't know it at the time yeah 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 and I think having that time next to a lake or up a mountain on your own is the most wonderful kind of quiet time where you're just surrounded by nature and you're just watching what goes on and absolutely I get so much out of my quiet time you know out on a walk or um I haven't fished for quite a long time but I I love it absolutely love it and then you love to cook with the things that you bring back so will you yeah. talk to us a little bit about about that Yes. Well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, similar to you, you know, grew up sort of um, English countryside. So game, of course, and fish was on the table. It's not, it, you know, it's not a foreign thing to have a rabbit pie or a roast pheasant or something or a haunch of venison. But um, about seven years ago, I completely switched to a wild game diet. So, you know, and I'm one of these people, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So I, I, you know, I don't eat marshmallows now because I have gelatin in. I wouldn't go near chicken soup with you know with soup because there's chicken stock in and so on i only eat a hundred percent wild game and in north america wild game can't be bought or sold so unlike the uk where you can go to waitrose or the butchers or your local pub and have wild game um here we can't and there's good reason for that um but it means that if you wish to eat wild game you have to get it yourself or i suppose to a lesser degree you know, barter it with someone else. Um, you could you could quite legally swap a rhubarb pie for a duck, you know, but you can't actually buy yourself. So, yeah. um, so really it means getting it yourself. So it's a huge, huge part of my life and obviously takes a fair bit of commitment when one has, I mean, it takes a fair bit of commitment anyway, but it takes a lot of commitment when one has, you know, a very busy, like yourself, a very busy life. You have to slot it in here and there. I don't have the luxury to go off for a week on a moose hunting trip in Northern Canada. What I have is perhaps, perhaps an afternoon and evening, yeah. or perhaps three hours between school drop and my first cooking class. And you know, yeah, I mean, you know how it is. So yeah. I, I really, um, I, I, yeah, it's a big commitment, but I, I love it and it feels good to me. It feels right. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I totally get that. And then you create wonderful things with it. And do you freeze a lot of it too? Like if you have, yes. uh, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, it all, it all, it almost every bit of meat I ever eat has been in the freezer, apart from maybe like you know when when you know when I first get a deer or something, having fresh liver and fresh heart. But really, it's first in, last that last 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 in first out you know so it's you know you kind of like I'm never really eating fresh meat I'm always going back to you know the other stuff which sometimes seems a shame but that's just the way you have to cycle these things um and you know everything here is quite rightly very regulated so you can't you know it's you can't just go out and go out and shoot a deer you have to follow the seasons and the bag limits and all the rest of it so um there's limited opportunity as well so one has to you know follow all the laws quite rightly yeah. And the same with fishing, yeah. Yeah. And you certainly look incredibly healthy on it. Thank you um. very much. I try. I, 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 uh, I, you know, yeah. I mean, it, I, I think, you know, you are, you are what you eat to coin a sort of old, perhaps corny phrase, but it's very true. Yeah. I totally, yeah. totally agree. And I'm also really passionate about eating seasonally because our bodies yeah. are designed to do, to do that and always banging on about it. You Absolutely. know, I love seeing, the British hedgerows in yeah. in the autumn are just full of you know blackberries and rose hips and elderberries, you know things packed full of wonderful kind of vitamins and and nutrients to give yeah. us our immune system a boost to get through the winter. You know that to me is Absolutely. just fascinating and you know how it should be. I went for a walk this morning along the river up here and it's just there's an abundance of wild garlic yeah, and the amazing. smell just hits you and it's. You know, just so excited to actually go go and pick some and, and cook with it. And then, you know, some of that will go in the freezer as well in different recipes yeah. so we can enjoy it. Um, you know, and it's so can- fresh and, you know, it's it's um, they, the old saying, what goes to get, what grows together goes together, you know? Yes. And I, and I, and yes. I love that. And, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, I really feel that, you know, if we look at, if we, if we look at, you know, if we look at us as humans and how long we've been around, I mean, the agricultural revolution was only 10,000 years ago. And prior to that, for 100,000 years, we were hunter gatherers. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the sort of the start of Homo sapiens. And so it's very, very recent that we've had this huge amount of food from all over the globe, just sitting there in this sort of magical electrical box in the fridge waiting to be gorged on you know so it's kind of what's in season makes sense apart from being on vogue it makes sense that that's what we're meant to be eating because that's what's around us yeah absolutely absolutely it does i'm so excited that we have a sponsor for our first season of the podcast popandflow.com pop and flow is beautiful homeware jewelry scarves towels They just have beautiful, beautiful things. Hannah that runs it brings me joy. Her website brings me joy. It makes me happy. And so I'm really thrilled that they are a sponsor for the podcast. And Hannah has kindly given us a discount code of Charlie10 when you purchase anything from her website. I will leave all the details to popandflow.com down in the show notes. Do take a look because it brings me joy and I hope it will to you as well. Now, I've got a question for you from some somebody that follows me saying, children who are averse to eating vegetables and not too keen on meat, generally how to give them a balanced diet, ensure they're eating enough 
in general, you know, tips on encouraging children. So I'd love to kind of chat to you about that and how you do with your girls. And I can talk a bit about how I do at home. Sure. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, I think it's an excellent question. I, I have two girls, Juliet, she's eight, um, Isabel, she's four. And, you know, as you can imagine, they've grown up surrounded by food in our household. Also with all our work, I mean, food is the topic of conversation all the time not also not always in the in the most positive way it's like you know you know swearing about some customer who wants a weird menu but I also you know I married I married into a big Jewish family so food is very much the center of life everything Um, I don't know if you know Sam but my my mum's family are Jewish too so I I come from a family of feeders yeah there we go so you know that you know the story yeah I, I totally get it you get it. Um, and and I think there's two ways to look at this. I mean, how to get a kid eating more, you know, you can either do the way of like the trickery, the old thing of blending up vegetables and putting it in the meat sauce and they're disguised. And we've all, we always hear people talking about that. And if we're in a desperate situation to get nutrients into a child, then I think that makes sense. But I think it's foolish because what one needs to do is create behaviors that encourage eating vegetables and not hide vegetables show vegetables in their full light and how delicious they actually are and i think one of the big problems is the comparisons so you know we were talking about fresh local food a sweet pea in the pod is absolutely divine and sweet and if you and i were to eat a banana now or a sweet pea or a strawberry in season or a carrot in season we'd be wow it's sweet the problem is if the rest of your diet is candy and chocolate actually it's not very sweet in comparison so you don't have that crap excuse my language in your diet for the most part all of a sudden the sweet pea is incredible and i think you know it's something i'm really passionate about i think the way we cook stuff you know I think far too many people are really adverse to ever frying anything or ever putting salt on anything or ever making a sauce that has honey in it and soy in it because they think that's bad. But in actual fact, that's great and that's good. And And it's far better than a a packet of sweets. (laughs) Exactly. So if you take broccoli, a beautiful head of broccoli and cut it up and get plenty of oil on it. And in my opinion, not extra virgin olive oil because kids don't like that flavor. Just oil, whatever you're using, vegetable or canola or something and a good whack of salt and in a hot oven. And now it's all crispy. And while that's getting nice and crispy in the oven, you make a nice you know, honey and yogurt and soy and, you know, something in a little container and you pull it out of the oven and you let it get crispy and you drain it off and you give that to kids, kids are going to love it. Yeah. Give kids, you know, a plate of steamed saltless broccoli. They're just not going to want it. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, if people are thinking, oh my God, but there's sugar in the sauce and there's salt on the broccoli. Sure. Good food often has salt and sugar in it, you know? And I think that's half the battle. I'm a big fan of breading things. And, 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 you know, if you want kids to eat chicken and they refuse to eat chicken, slice it nice and fine, batter it, get it in some egg and some breadcrumbs and quickly shallow fry it. Like delicious. Yeah. Delicious. You know, delicious. Yeah, I, add some, I add some Parmesan, some grated Parmesan in and, so so good exactly whereas i can i can see a kid not 
not wanting to eat like a badly cooked skinless boneless chicken breast I don't think I'd want to either no exactly exactly yeah, yeah. so it's it, yeah it's how you cook it I also think getting them to grow vegetables Absolutely. is a great way to get them to eat it so I get mine out sure. into the kitchen garden with me and they see the whole process and yeah. then then I I sort of saw this kind of switch in them of oh yeah we grew that and we're now going to cook it and eat it and actually it's delicious to have a raw carrot straight from the garden and it's going to taste a lot better too so I think where possible that's great and they're proud also that they're they're proud if you and it's very easy I mean obviously everyone has different living situations and different budgets of course but I can't think of many situations where you couldn't grow um some some peas on a balcony or some basil exactly. you know basil plant you can yeah. do it next to the bed I mean you know that exactly. there's and tomatoes yeah. on a balcony I did I did that when I lived in London and I had a small balcony you know I was I was growing things you can grow lettuces on a balcony um, exactly yeah yeah and um so so I think I think definitely that is is great and I think for people that have access I mean if you get if you get a kid you know if you get your kids to pluck a cock pheasant and which might sound a bit out there to people but most butchers during the season so october onwards will have the ability to sell you a cock pheasant for surprisingly little money you know Mm -hmm. five pounds or something and if you get kids plucking cock pheasants and then using the feathers to make art and crafts and stuff and take those breasts off and batter them nice and thin and as you said breadcrumbs and parmesan and shallow fry them and learn like, wow, this is a bird and we're eating the breasts and now maybe we'll make stock with the legs. And, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're intrigued. I mean, most kids are intrigued by wildlife and intrigued by nature. And most kids want to get their hands, you know, muddy or bloody or dirty or sticky. And we have to allow them to do that because then it becomes fun. If, it, if food is a sterile environment, it's not fun. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's really, really good to involve them from a young age, yeah. you know, cooking and feeling and, and exploring all of those textures and, and getting exactly. involved because it sparks that, that love for food and that, you know, the enjoyment and the process, yeah. because it's really important that we know where our food has come from, not just from a packet yeah. in a supermarket, you know, yeah. these skinless breasts that actually some people then you know they might be sort of quite a bit older before they've associated that that's actually a chicken a hen that lays yeah, no, no, exactly <laughs> realize that it's a chicken yeah yeah so and, and, and you know also charlie i mean we ran we i mean i still do run kids cooking classes at cooking school the london chef which i'll tell you about in a moment but at the old london chef we did lots of cooking classes for kids and something that was really noticeable would be these sort of like helicopter parents that were desperately worried that little Johnny and Margaret didn't have a perfectly round pizza dough and worried that there was flour on their shoes now. And how ridiculous, like, you know, make pizza dough, allow them to do it. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be perfectly kneaded. There can be flour all over their shoes. And it just needs to be like some sort of blob that is going to cook into lovely bread, you know? And I think that's the thing, removing this sort of like the rules. I think we've been done a disservice in kitchens when grandparents and parents perhaps and aunties and uncles and certainly cooking books told us you have to follow these exact rules 
and there's no way around it. Whereas you don't, you need flour and water and a bit of yeast, mix it all together, chuck it in the oven and you've got something that's delicious. Yeah, yeah. And it's about experimenting and about having fun. And exactly, exactly. that's it, yeah. Playing with your food. Exactly, yeah. yeah, play, do exactly what we were told not to. Play, exactly, play with, your play with your food, you know, and have fun and it's cool to cook, it's fun to cook. Um, so we, you know, we, we, we sort of, we did the pivot. God, that's the word right now, isn't it? We did the pivot from our, our physical location, which we had for 11 years, to now we have cooking school with the London chef. And, you know, if people are interested, they can go to our website, www.thelondonchef.com and, and see And it's online. Which is amazing, Dan, it's online because you can now reach such a huge audience. Absolutely. So tonight, um, yeah. And actually, you are so inspiring and so fabulous when it comes to kind of food and teaching that I'm really pleased you've made the step to do it online. It's a huge step to take, I know, because I did it too. Um, Let's do a class class together sometime. We have to Shall we? Shall we? I I open the laptop. And, you know, there's lights and stuff set up and there's sometimes there's 300 people on the laptop in front of me and they can be, in t- you know, all over the place. We do it in different time zones. So we do it for the UK, for the Europe, for the East Coast, for the West Coast. And um, and it's kind of cool. Like, I mean, that that's the reality, you know, technology. That's the reality of today. It's amazing. And I think that's one positive over that's come out of the pandemic is we've had to we've had to work like that. I've yeah. taken my courses that so I used to teach children how to um, how to cook at home as well on a tiny scale in my kitchen. Um, and we would make pizzas, we would make burgers, we would you know do all sorts of things and then a lot of baking. And it's really great actually now that we can work online and I, I found it really exciting. Yeah. So do you give everybody a shopping list and they cook along with you? How does it work, Dan? Yes, I mean, for the few local people, they have the option to buy food from us. But for, you know, people in the UK, for example, um, if you if you sign up and you become a member, which which is probably a sensible thing to do, because then you have access to the library and the library is this huge. I mean, it's a huge library of hundreds of videos of how to, you know, skin a salmon, how to chop garlic, how to chop onions, how to make pizza dough, how to make risotto, how to make, you know, I mean, literally anything you can think of. and then if you want to do a class, you can do six a month as part of your membership. Yeah. You go on whichever class you want to do. You see the time it's on and you can either do it live with me and hundreds of people, or you can just watch it yourself privately and stop and start as you go. Cause they're pre-recorded. Um, yeah. And yeah, you just look at the shopping list and see what you need. And there's some advice as to what to substitute. You know, if you don't eat chicken, well, get a can of chickpeas ready and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it, it's it, it's it's fun and i think you know my style of cooking um is i make it really fun to cook i just got back um you can i've still got a little bit of a tan perhaps hopefully as you can see i won't pull my shirt up for you to see my tummy but it is quite brown actually um and you know i was teaching classes at rancho la puerta which is this incredible i mean if you i tell you what charlie if you ever want to treat yourself to a week Go, go to Rancho La Puerta. It's amazing. Just outside Tecate. And it's, you know, it's a health and wellness retreat done in a very sort of spiritual way and very relaxed yeah. way. And I was teaching classes every day there. And 
you know, I'm teaching for the most part women, for the most part around 60 plus. And they were all, you know, they're all, they've got these rules and you have to get the oil hot. Then you have to put the onions into the oil. Then you have to, and I was like, no, you don't. You know, you really don't. All those rules that we've been taught for the most part aren't necessary. And one thing that I've learned from teaching cooking as opposed to being a chef is I've questioned every single thing. And when you start questioning things, you start realizing that actually, if I'm sweating down leek, celery, onion, and carrot, why does it make any difference that the oil's hot? It doesn't. So now it's going to be easier. I'm going to have the pot next to the chopping board. I'm going to load the pan of all my veg. Then I'm going to put a slug of oil in. Then I'm going to put a wax salt in. And then I'm going to carry it over to the stove. And all of a sudden, like, it's so much easier, you know? Um, so that's my big thing, making cooking fun and easy and simple because I really feel cooking is easy. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, Dan. Amazing. And this podcast is Busy House, Happy Home. And I think food... I don't think I know food is a huge part of a home the kitchen is a heart of, of, of a home and eating kind of good healthy home-cooked food the most part is is so important and I think going back to that question I when my children were younger I just didn't have any snacks there yeah. weren't snacks they just yeah. had to eat you know what we cooked and we ate as a family we sat around the table we still do sit around the table and we yeah. eat you know as a family and they were hungry for the food because there wasn't anything else yeah it wasn't like oh, okay you're not gonna eat that um have have something else or mommy will make you a jam sandwich it wasn't an option they just had the food that we that we were eating and and they didn't question it and that yeah. I think is really important I speak to so many you know families and parents about this I worked as a nanny like 20 years ago just after we left school and the children were so difficult when it came to food and I chatted to mum about it and I said you know what am I going to do and she just you know told me what she did with us there weren't snacks there weren't options we just had lovely kind of home-cooked food and then by yeah. the time I left I was having to go back to fill the freezer because they just wanted Charlie's Charlie's food and yeah. it's not giving children all of the options Absolutely. And, and also allow, allowing, sorry to interrupt, but also allowing them to know what hungry really feels like. Yes. Allowing be in tune of your body. You know, it's boredom and hunger are two separate things. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, we were brought up perhaps in the slightly more old fashioned, arguably archaic world of the English countryside and boarding schools and so on. But, you know, in my opinion, if it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you feel a bit peckish and dinner's at six, that's great. You're excited for dinner. You yeah, don't desperately need like almonds because you're going to faint at any point. You know, it's yeah. like being a little bit hungry for a moment. It's OK, you know. And I think also there's a lot of confusion over thirst and hunger. Like I'll say to my kids, go and have a glass of water because yeah. actually they're thirsty because they've been rushing around. They've forgotten to drink. They're yeah. not hungry. They don't need to, you know, yeah. to snack on things. They don't need to have something before supper. They just need a drink and then they can, can wait and, and enjoy their food. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I, I you know, and Shai, I just, I was just funny enough. I was just going back to this picture. You were saying what you said was getting, getting kids involved in the kitchen and being part of family food. Well, I, 
I just I hold on. Let me let me find it now. I'm go, I'm computers and telephones are not my are not my thing. But um, we just posted. Where is it? Here we go. We just, my, our Instagram is called um, what's it called? Oh, the London Chef Dan Hayes. And um, there we go. There's a plug. If anyone wants to follow us, the London Chef Dan Hayes. But look, we just posted this from yesterday. A little picture of our youngest Isabel busily writing um writing the labels for um pepperoni so i send off a certain amount of bear meat and duck and venison to my butcher and he sends me back pepperoni um it's a butcher that i really trust that i know he won't put any pork or anything extra in and um they come back and then we you know we we vacuum seal them and write on them so my little four-year-old there not only is she you know, learning about meat and she saw it in its full form. She probably saw the whole geese and the whole deer, but she's now learning how to write there and, write the the and then putting it in the freezer. And then when you pull it out, it's her writing. And it's that, it's that involvement that, that, that is so, it's so important, I think. Yeah, it is. It is so important, Dan. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm always saying get the children involved. It doesn't matter how mucky the kitchen is. You can clear it up. Yeah, Just exactly. don't worry about it. Don't worry. Yeah. Let them get their hands in. Let them feel the textures. Let them have fun. Let them get creative. You can clear the kitchen up later. It's not exactly. a big deal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. And um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, it it, it doesn't need to be an expensive endeavor. I mean. A, a bag of flour and a little bit of dry active yeast and some warm water and a pinch of salt. You could, you could, you could spend a day going over and over again. And I doubt you'd spend 20 quid, you know, I yeah. mean, it, yeah. it, it can be, you know, I think, I think sometimes people can have it in their mindset that cooking is something expensive or dare I say almost an elitist thing to do. And it's not, you know, cooking is for everyone at every level, in every budget, in every setup. You know, we, we, we teach cooking classes in the jail, maximum security jail, a concrete, a cold concrete room. And in that we put plastic fold up tables and a camping stove on each table. And I say to the guys, I'm like, I say, you know, this is now a kitchen, anywhere's a kitchen. Yeah. You, you, you need a heat source. You need 10 candles, sellotape together and a pan. And now you've got a kitchen, essentially, yeah. you know, and a pocket yeah. knife. Yeah. And I yeah. think people have to remember that, you know, you don't need a mansion and marble and the latest Arga and, you know, anything can be a kitchen if need be. Yeah. Yeah. I used to cook for a rugby club on a baby yeah. belling and that's all I had you know, the two rings and a tiny oven. And I used to cook for like 60 people yeah. on that. And, yeah. and I made it work. It was all I had. And I needed, I needed the job. I needed the cash. So you do. Now, where did you learn to cook? Where did you, where did your love of food come from? Take me right back to the beginning. Well, um, I, th I, I think there's two sides to that, um, to that, to that story. I, I, God, I'm glad it's a podcast. I'm having a terrible hair day. Um, <laughs> the, I, I think there's two sides to the story. One side of the story, look, you know, I was incredibly fortunate. I went to Sunningdale, then I went to Stowe and proceeded somehow, probably because why my parents sent me to a school where there were beagles and shotguns and lakes to go fishing in, I have no idea. But I didn't do a lot of work academically and I failed every exam I ever took. 
dismally. I was still trying to pass maths um, when I left GCSE, when I left school. It was a horrific disgrace. Um, and the fact is, there weren't many options open to me. I wasn't going to go to university. I wasn't going to be in the city managing a hedge fund. I wasn't going to be a brain surgeon. I mean, you know, the chances of me becoming an estate agent were pretty slim. There was really nothing I could do. Um, and so I did what many chefs for generations have done, become a chef. I mean, if you couldn't follow in your father's footsteps and become a plumber or an electrician or a blacksmith or something skilled, you were sent to be a chef. And that is the truth. And that's what I did. The other side of that story is I was fascinated by the connection of food, of nature to food. So I didn't know how to cook. I knew nothing about cooking, but I did know how to take mummy a trout mm -hmm. or take mum a rabbit um, and then end up with a rabbit pie or a trout pate sandwich the next day. And that fascinated me. Like, how do you go from this furry creature with great big long ears to a bubbling pie with crispy pastry on top. I, I found it fascinating. So I wrote to Rick Stein down in Cornwall, which, you know, the UK listeners will, will, will recognize the name well. And, um, and that's where it all began. I, I wrote to him. He said, come down. He came down. I did a week trial. It was a huge shock to the system. You know, very, very, very long, hard days. And that was it. I started working for Rick. And, um, and really never looked back and then sort of wiggled my way around the, the restaurant world in London and Spain. And yeah. Yeah. And what sort of style of food, what's, what's your favorite food to cook with? What do you get really excited about? Or, or is that, or is it just, um, you know, yeah, it, it's always been seafood for me. Look, I worked for Rick Stein, then I worked for Mitch Tonks. I mean, I opened the biggest fish works to date, the Richmond Fish Works. I worked for at Corsonomy de l'Avenue and Sloan Avenue for Pierre Rosiglioni. So that was my, one of my, my favorite work, restaurants, Dan. There we go. Well, I was, I, yeah, I was there for almost, almost three years. Wow. Um, and so anyway, so I, so seafood is my thing. Um, and I love cooking seafood, but I think in terms of, teaching people to cook. I love teaching things like Indian food and Thai food because I take the mystery out of it yeah. and show how simple it can be. It's, you know, most people roughly know how to make, you know, a chicken breast and a bit of leek risotto or something. But when you say make a, a you know, a chickpea curry, no way. And I take the mystery out of it. And I show people how you could pop to your local Tesco Metro I'm using all the all the English terminology now, you see, I remember Tesco Metro and, you know, whip around with a shopping cart and get enough ingredients to go home and make up the most incredible chana masala or, you know, whatever you like. So for me, that gets me excited. Mm. Showing yeah. people things that they, you know, um, showing giving them confidence they would have no idea. Yeah, giving them yeah. the confidence to do it. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same, Dan. I love... I get a real, not kick out of it, but I, I get really excited giving people the confidence to, to, to do things, you know. Yeah, and that's a good word you bring up, confidence. That is the thing. And that's why, you know, I hate recipes. I like techniques. I like memories. I like culture. I like tradition. I like idea. I like thought. Um, but I don't really like recipes because I think recipes take people's 
takes people's confidence away. I think what gives people confidence is technique. So if you learn how to make a leek risotto, guess what? You know how to make a cherry tomato risotto and a, you know, spinach risotto and a whatever. Um, it's giving that, that technique. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Dan, thank you so much for chatting to us today. So I'm going to leave all the details to you below in the show notes so anyone can get in touch with Dan. So you're at the London Chef. Um, that's your main your main place. But I'll also link uh, Moose Meat and Marmalade and also that wonderful place that you were talking about in Mexico. You know, maybe we should put the details of that in there as well. So if people want to go and... Um, yeah check Absolutely. that out and, and have a that sounds amazing i would love to. yeah and you know and and if, if people are interested in my style of cooking apart from watching the show moose meat and marmalade do check out our cooking classes because it's a really yeah. i think a fun way to get your kids involved as well um yeah. you know for for 19 you know for 90 what is that 15 pounds a month or something get your get your kids you know, your kids want to be in front of the screen. Let's be honest, whether you let them or not, that's where they want to be. So um, let them be in front of the screen, but doing something wonderful. Let's cook. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So we will leave all of those details below so you can, you can find Dan and a huge, huge thank you. It's been so lovely um, to have you on the podcast chatting about food, which I think is, you know, one of the most important things. um, Absolutely. I, I'm a feeder. I love, I love it. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. Thank you for, thank you for having me. And um, thank you for thinking of me and how funny and great that our two worlds have sort of, you know, run along parallel and now we've managed to connect them in some way. It's wonderful, Dan. Thank you. I can't wait to have a big oh. hug with you at some point. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Thank you. I would be really grateful if you are enjoying my podcast. If you would just take a moment to hit the subscribe button, it helps other people know that we exist. And I would be so grateful of that. And leave me a review. The more subscribers we have, the more episodes I can put on for you. So please just take a moment and hit the subscribe button.